You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at hopeoakville.ca. Well, good morning, everybody who is in the room and everybody who's watching online. I don't know what camera to look at right now, but everyone who's watching online, we're so glad that you're watching with us and uh, hope that you're blessed by your time with us. If you have a Bible with you, go ahead and open it to Acts 24. We continue in our Acts series today, Acts 24. And if you've been with us in this series and you've been listening diligently, you're like, Acts 24, we ended in like the middle of Acts 22 last week. What's going on, Brother Carl? Like, you missed a little bit there. Let me just kind of give you some Coles notes, because a lot's happened, but we kind of need to jump along a little bit, all right? So here's what's been going on. In the end of chapter 22, uh, Paul was arrested, and um, the Roman soldiers decided, you know what we're going to do? We're going we're gonna to flog him to figure out, like, we'll, we'll beat it out of him. Whatever he did wrong to cause this disturbance, we're going to get him to talk. And so they get ready to do that, and he's like, are you going to do this to a Roman citizen? And they're kind of stopped because you, you don't just do that to a Roman citizen. And they begin this dialogue. And he's like, I'm a Roman citizen by birth, man. And they're like, whoa, we can't, well, you have to have a proper trial. And so they kind of stop. They actually um, take off the chains and the bindings that was on him because now they realize they need to treat him a little bit differently. In chapter 23, this trial now begins and it, it gets going, and the prosecutors come in, and they're arguing in such a way that Paul kind of stirs them up against each other, so much so that then they're kind of fighting against each other, and then they begin to fight against Paul, and he has to be taken back into custody for his own protection. And then he's in protection, protective custody, at the beginning of chapter 23, and as it goes along, and near the end of chapter 23, um, his nephew, and this could be like a great movie, just if you're a movie producer out there, like chapters 22, 23, and 24 would be fantastic. Fantastic, okay? But his nephew finds out that there's a plot to kill him. Plot twist, okay? And so he gets word to Paul, who's being kept in custody, like, there's a whole bunch of people, and they're going to try and kill you. And Paul's like, well, that's not good, because I don't want to die. And so he gets him to go see the centurion who's overseeing him. And so the nephew goes to the centurion and says, there's this plot to kill Paul. We need, you, you got to do something. And so in the middle of the night, the centurion, who's in charge of it all, he packs Paul up with 270 soldiers, and they take a journey, um, a 121-kilometer journey in the middle of the night to the village um, by the Sea of Caesarea. And so they go there because Felix, the governor's there. He's kind of passing the buck at this point. He's like, okay, listen, I'm not dealing with this anymore. There's like, people are trying to kill this guy. They're plotting against it. I'm just going to get you to the governor. He can figure this out. I am like passing you off now. You are going to go this way. And so that's what begins to happen in verse 24. So Paul gets there to Felix and he's there and he's held in custody and the, um, uh, the, the Pharisees and everybody, the, the priests, they all come up from Jerusalem because now they have to go to this other place to have this trial with Paul. And they begin to dialogue. And they bring in a guy who argues for them. And that's what goes on from verses 1 through 21 of chapter 24, this back and forth kind of dialogue, which brings us to our text that we're going to look at today. Let me read Acts 24, verses 23, 22 through 27. But Felix, remember he's the governor, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way. I love this, the way there too. I'm going to say the way a bunch of times in the message, and you just need to know that the way, well, he's going to explain what it is, so we'll get there, okay? But it's so good. Um, having an accurate knowledge of the way, put them off saying, when Lysias the tribune comes down, I will decide your case. 
Then he gave orders to the centurion that he should be kept, Paul should be kept in custody, but have some liberty, and that none of his friends should be prevented from attending to his needs. It's kind of like an elaborate house arrest on a, a soldier's barracks area. After some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. And at the same time, though, he hoped that money would be given him by Paul. So he sent for him often and conversed with him. And when two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus, and in desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. So this is the passage we're going to look at today. If you've been with us for the last year as we've been studying in the book of Acts, we've looked at the power of the Holy Spirit. We've looked at the perseverance and presence of what happens when the Holy Spirit is in your life. And lately we've been looking at people witnessing and witnesses of the transforming work of the Holy Spirit and the gospel in the lives of many people. And here in our passage today, Luke records just briefly, as Paul is very specific and thoughtful, intentional, in front of a very powerful audience, just a most basic witness of the gospel. The title of today's message is A Basic Witness. Paul is going to simply state, just bearing witness, and and this is what we're going to do here too, to understand what the gospel is. And I believe that for some today who are maybe you're in this room or maybe you're watching online, the Lord is calling to you like he did Felix and Drusilla and reaching out to you with the gospel. And you have an opportunity today to receive the good news of Jesus Christ, to join the way, as it's described in verse 22. But for some, as Luke's recording here will review what you already know and you already believe, you have to reflect on on how deep this has transformed and changed you, as I have this week. As I've sat in these most basic, fundamental, and elementary principles of the gospel and looked at them and said, how are these not only informing my life, but transforming my life? Because they informed and transformed Paul's life so much that when he then gets an opportunity to speak, this is what he speaks about. This is what he points to. This is what he bears witness about. And if you think about it, a witness is someone who is communicating something that they have experienced. And so if you're here and you have experienced the gospel... If you have put your faith and trust in Jesus, can you articulate that? Is it something that you know in your head and kind of in your heart but have a hard time getting out of your mouth? Or is it something that's so permeated your mind and your thoughts and your heart that it flows easily from you? And again, this this time in God's word this morning is more than just like a how to share the gospel kind of message. Because as we see in Paul's life here, it just flows from his life. It's not a script that we have to go through. There are some basic things that we're going to look at here. But the gospel should be so transforming our lives that it flows out. Now, maybe you're here right now and you're like, well, I kind of know what the gospel is. Like, I've heard about it before. And Well, it's my prayer that this morning, by God's word and by the Holy Spirit, the Lord would speak to you in such a way that the gospel takes deep root and transforms your life for his glory. So let's pray together and then we'll jump into our passage. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you. God, that this morning we can gather together. That's a sweet thing, Lord. I thank you for the people who have gotten up and are watching online right now and have worshiped with us. I thank you, Lord, that we can look to your word now. And we are praying, God, 
I am praying that you would speak to us by your spirit, to all of us, God. Would you have something for us this morning that would be so inspiring and so encouraging and so strength-giving and so hope-filling, Lord, that's not from me but from you by your spirit, Lord. You know all who are listening right now. And so would you get so much glory in this time? We love you and thank you that we can look to you and learn from you. And so now would you help us listen to you, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's jump in here. Verse 22, Paul, or uh, Felix, it says that he has a rather accurate knowledge of the way, which is kind of interesting. He's the governor of the area. You know there's this, he knows there's this kind of sect religion springing up, but why why would he have a, a rather accurate knowledge of that? As I was studying this week, I came across this little fact, but it's not really a little fact. It's an amazing thing. If you remember back to Acts 10, some of you remember this message, preached a little while ago. Peter goes and he shares the gospel with some Gentiles. Do you remember where he went? Caesarea. To who? A centurion. That guy would have worked directly for Felix. And so Peter goes and he shares the gospel with this guy and the Holy Spirit comes and, and, and Cornelius' life has changed and all the people around him is like, like, so as Felix, the governor, is watching like one of his main guys, just life transformed He'd probably be asking some questions, right? Like, hey, so you're a little different than you used to be, not going out, doing the things that you used to do. Like, what's going on? And for sure, because we know that Cornelius had the Holy Spirit in him because the Holy Spirit falls in Acts 10 on the Gentiles, he was able to speak the gospel to him. And so he, as Felix sits there, he's like, I kind of know what's going on here a little bit. But now he gets to have an audience with Paul, which is pretty cool. And so he begins to talk to him. And they, him and his wife, Drusilla, they send for Paul. You see there in verse 24. Now it says that they send for him and heard him speak about faith in Christ. Now, he spoke about other things, and we're going to look at those too. But Luke, as he records the first points of importance in Paul's bearing a basic witness to the governor, it is about faith in Jesus. And so you can write this down. This is point number one today. A basic witness, it's about faith in Jesus. If you are going to bear witness to Jesus Christ, if you are going to share the gospel, if you are going to articulate salvation for someone, you must speak of Jesus. If you are not, then you are missing the point of what is there in the hope of salvation because it comes through Jesus. And so Paul, he begins to straightforwardly in this conversation, just point these people to their need of Jesus. Now, they likely thought they were going to have some sort of theological dialogue with this, you know, rabbi teacher kind of guy who seems to know a lot about what's going on. But Paul goes straight to the life-changing, future-redefining, destiny-altering hope of, you need Jesus. That's what we need. That's what they needed. That's what all of the people who we will ever come in contact need. Most of all, it's Jesus. And Paul, in in many ways, he kind of throws away the regard for his own life because these people could have kept him, well, they did keep him locked up for two years, but they could have tortured him. They could have put him to death. He, He doesn't care, though. He cares most that they hear the truth that they need Jesus. That's the most important thing that they needed to hear. And so it says there that he speaks with them about faith in Christ. Um, I'm like a little bit of a history nerd or dork, whichever word you prefer. Um, I, I like learning about history, and as I learn these facts, they become so interesting to me. So it's recorded that this happened in the year 57. Earlier in that year, before Paul went to Jerusalem, 
it's recorded that that's likely when he wrote the book of Romans. So if you think about this conversation that he's having here, he has been so filled by the Holy Spirit to write the deep theology and the richness of what we find in the book of Romans that you can almost imagine now that Luke's like, I can't write the whole book of Romans right here in Acts 24. Like, all I can do is just kind of give you the sub points, but you can just imagine that, that all of that wonderful theology is just spilling out of him. So, so Felix and Drusilla, they ask him about the way. And you can imagine, he's like, well, the way is that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you can be saved. Like that's, that's Romans 10, like, and it just begins to come out of him. And this is the hope that Peter had, had preached in Acts 4 when he said there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we can be saved. Jesus said this of himself in John 11, I am the resurrection and the life, and whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And you can imagine that this is just what's coming out of Paul. He's just like, you need Jesus. It's about Jesus. You have to put your faith in Jesus. He's the only way that you can be forgiven of your sin. And so he's like, I know you think this is a sect or a way, but this is the way, and it's about Jesus. And so as he begins to bear this basic witness, he's just like, you need to, it's more than just, now, if you go back to verse 22, a rather accurate knowledge. It's more than that. I love this quote by Warren Wearsby. He said this, it's not enough for a person to know the facts about Christ or to have an emotional response to a message, he or she must willingly repent of sin and trust the Savior. They must put their faith in Jesus. A basic witness will point people to faith in Jesus. Faith in Jesus is not some emotional thing that happens at the end of a service. It is not some little thing that you say that you did. It is the key to eternity. It is the source of the forgiveness of sin that you can stand before God no longer with the penalty and the weight of sin on you anymore, but forgiven and free and welcome to the presence of God for all eternity. Can I get an amen this morning? That is the goodness and the sweetness and the richness of the gospel. And so Paul, you can imagine Felix and Drusilla, they don't even know what they're in for. They're like, hey, can you come tell us about the way? And Paul just starts unloading by the Holy Spirit, just pouring out the book of Romans on them and just the truth and the hope of the gospel for them. Why? Because Isaiah said, all we like sheep have gone astray and we've turned everyone to his own way. But the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. We need the gospel because in our, on our own, we're stuck in sin. But God showed his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us so that by grace, through faith, not, not our own doing, but a gift of God, we can be forgiven. So a question for you, and even as I say this, I have to ask this for myself, is this the basic witness of our lives? Do we know this? Has it so permeated our heart, the wonderful truth of salvation, the hope that we have of forgiveness through the work of Jesus, that this is what flows from us? Do you understand? Do I understand in an increasing measure every day as by the Spirit, I see my own sin more and I see my own rebellion towards God, but thankful for the work of Jesus, does it cause me to, to let the gospel flow out more? Does it cause that in your life? I would encourage you, if you want this to grow, and if you're a follower of Jesus, you should. This summer, read the book of Romans. And don't just like read it once. Read it a couple times. Sit in the chapters. 
Look at the depth of the theology. And maybe it's not just Romans. Maybe it's in other reading that you're going to do, but you're going to be intentional and thoughtful about the, the songs that you sing and the things that you read that are exposing you to the work of Jesus for you. That you will better understand, that I will better understand what Jesus has done for me and what Jesus has done for you. But at the same time, there's some people in this room right now, and maybe you have not yet put your faith in Jesus. Even as I say these things, you're kind of like, that sounds really good. Listen, loved one, I would say to you, you can be forgiven. And you can be forgiven through the atoning work of Jesus Christ who laid down his life that you could be forgiven of a sin. And I, like Paul to Felix and Drusilla, implore you, put your faith in Jesus. Put your faith in Jesus. He is the way. It is most basically about faith in Jesus. Now Luke goes on in verse 25 there, and it says that he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and coming judgment. Now why would he talk about these things? Well, straight up, he would talk about these things because when it comes with us and our standing before God, there are only two places you can be. There is no middle ground. You are right with God or you are not right with God. You are unrighteous or you are righteous. You are stuck in sin or you are forgiven and made holy through the finished work of Jesus. Those are your only two options. And so he has to begin to unpack this reality that righteousness is a big deal. Righteousness is a big deal. Paul's conversation with them, no doubt, would have been gracious and truthful, but he would have been upholding the high standard of God's holiness and pointing them to the fact that you don't meet this standard. And we know elsewhere, because we've heard Paul give his testimony before, that he's articulate of how I didn't make this standard either. It's only through Jesus. So here's point number two this morning, a basic witness. It's about righteousness in Jesus. Jesus is the only way that we can be made righteous. Now, this would have been hugely confrontational for Paul to say these things to this couple. Felix was known for being ruthless and harsh and cruel and manipulative. Drusilla is his third wife, who if you read about Felix Moore, the story goes that he used a sorcerer to trick her away from her first husband because he wanted to be with her so bad because he thought she was just so beautiful he had to have her as his wife. So she is lured away and she becomes the governor's wife. And so she then begins to live this elaborate, luxurious life. Listen, these people were not without sin, but neither are we. So much so that when, when we read it just a minute ago, when Paul is articulating these things, it says that Felix, he's, he's alarmed in verse 25. He begins to see his sin in his own life and his unrighteousness as God sees it, and it's disturbing to him. And he sends Paul away. He's like, I don't know what's happening here, but I'm feeling some guilt for all the things that I've done, and I don't want to talk about this anymore. You got to go, man. And why is that? Because he has exposed to righteousness. But we know, again, from Romans, that none is righteous, no, not one on our own. In fact, Romans 1, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Paul here is addressing sinful moral character and behavior, but he's emphasizing God's holy and perfect standard. And what is the solution? The solution is Jesus. Jesus is our only hope. It's all about Jesus. Have you noticed that in our culture, 
we're very reluctant to use the words evil, wrong, or even sin. We don't hear those words as often as you did 30, 40 years ago. Why is that? Well, we don't hear them because it's an admission, an admission of our imperfection. We would rather make excuses for our failings. We'd rather make excuses for our failings than admit there's, there's a connection with our shortcomings and the shortfall to God's holy standard. We don't want to talk about unrighteousness. But the reality is that apart from Jesus, this is the camp that everybody is in. And the only way that you switch camps from the unrighteous camp to the righteous camp, because remember, there's no middle ground. You're either here or you're there. The only way is through Jesus. He is the only hope. So Paul reasons with them. And you can imagine he just kind of like sitting there, maybe on the steps before them as they sit high and lofty or however it was. And he just says, hey, can I tell you, like you've been believing a lie that, that you're good people. We hear that all the time, right? It's okay. You're, you're a good person. Well, by what standard? Because Paul's pointing to God's holy, perfect standard. He's like, everybody's sinned. All, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the only hope is Jesus. And so Paul reasons with them about the weight of unrighteousness and the need for righteousness. And he articulates back and forth. And so let me do that with you a little bit more right now. And let me also just encourage you that when you're speaking with people, don't just tell them, hey, you need Jesus. This is the scariest thing when I hear people articulate the gospel without ever telling people why they need forgiveness. Hey, there's hope in Jesus. You can be saved. You can, you can but saved from what? You can be forgiven from what? We have to understand that we're in trouble because the gospel is good news. But if you don't think you need saving, you're never gonna reach out for that rope. You're never going to grab onto that floating buoy of hope of salvation that is Jesus that saves you from drowning in your sin. It just doesn't happen. So you have to have this grace and love, but there has to be an articulation of going back and forth. Now, maybe you're sitting here right now and you're thinking, well, really, is my sin that big of a deal? Well, James 2 tells us that if you fail in any sin, you're guilty of breaking the entire law of God. Now, maybe you're sitting here right now and you're like, well, I bet you're more sinful than me. It doesn't matter if I'm more sinful than you or you're more sinful than me because you're not being compared to me and I'm not being compared to you. We are being compared to, we are being, the standard we are measured with is the holiness and the righteousness of God. And the solution is Jesus. The solution is Jesus, who for our sake became sin. He took on sin, that in him we might become, do you know the next word in the verse? The righteousness of God. We might be viewed with righteousness, holy and perfect, not because of our own doing, but a gift of God. Now, often what happens is people understand their unrighteousness and their sin and that they can be forgiven. There's this weight that sits on them, but, but oh, I was so bad in my unrighteousness. I was so wicked and I was so sinful. But this is the hope of the gospel because it's all forgiven. And there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It is just the hope of the gospel that Jesus has saved you and you are right and you are forgiven. This is the sweetness of the gospel. This is the basic witness that Paul brings before Felix and Drusilla. And he's just like, you need Jesus and you need righteousness. And it only comes through Jesus. Righteousness comes through Jesus. Now, Luke 
again, if you look in verses 24 and 25, he's only saying like brief little snippets. Again, he's just giving, I'm I'm, I'm helping us understand hopefully here what these words mean. But the next one that he refers to there, he says righteousness and self-control. Self-control. These Roman elites would have had little care, if any, for self-control. They did what they wanted when they wanted, no matter how immoral, cruel, unhealthy, dangerous, or destructive it was. Paul is really speaking right to the primary issue of their life. Exhibit A, their relationship. You have just willfully walked off in disobedience to God's holy and perfect standard in everything that's going on in that marriage right there. And so Paul, he's calling them out on this and and saying that there's there's some self-control that's needed here. Now again, this can't happen on our own. The desires of the flesh are against the spirit. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put the death, the deeds of the body, you will live. So how do you get the Spirit to help you live with that self-control? You put your faith and trust in Jesus. And we know that Jesus said that I will go and I will send you a helper. And so you put your faith and trust in Jesus. You're forgiven of your sin. And he sends his Holy Spirit to be with you. Because you and I can't have victory over sin on our own. If we could, we would, but we can't, and so we need help, and that help comes by the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit comes through Jesus, so we need to exercise self-control because we can't continue in sin just thinking that we're going to get more grace. It doesn't work like that. Sin needs to be removed from our lives, so you can write this down. This is point number three, a basic witness. It's about self-control in Jesus. The way is about Jesus changing you that you don't continue as you were, but it's gonna be different. You're not just okay with all that sin and that unrighteousness and continuing in it anymore because Jesus has laid down his life for you and given you hope and out of thankful, grateful hearts and now seeing how wrong and rebellious it is towards God, we say, I don't wanna keep doing that anymore. But again, we can't do that on our own. So Paul here, he's moving past their past sin and to their present opportunities for righteous or unrighteous living. And he's pointing to the fact that there needs to be an exercise of self-control. Now, if you're like me and you're like Paul, you're like, that's really hard. Paul wrote this in Romans 7, verses 18 and 19. I know that nothing good dwells in me, in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what's right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I don't want to do. It's what I keep on doing. Anybody else feel like Paul there? Like, I know how I should and ought to be living, but I just can't do it on my own. That's because we need the Holy Spirit. That's because we need to yield to him. So Paul goes on, and he says, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of death? Romans 7, 25, this is so sweet. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. I'm still struggling in the flesh, but in my mind, I know that I am forgiven and I am made right. Paul is explaining that their lives need to change. This is all about how we live, no longer conforming to the pattern of sin and this world, but yielding and conforming to the image of Christ. For those who understand the seriousness of their unrighteousness and the gift of righteousness, they know and we know that there needs to be an exercise of self-control, but we can't do it on our own. And so Paul writes in Galatians, 
I've been crucified with Christ. And so now it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And this life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. Because he knows he can't do it on his own. He knows he needs God's help. And so he has to yield to God. We have to do the same thing. This self-control, too, this is, this is more than like, I was at a birthday party for a one-year-old and a five, six-year-old yesterday, or two-year-old and a six-year-old yesterday. And so there were two cakes, one big cake and one like pile of cupcakes. And I had to exercise self-control yesterday. I didn't want one to think I loved them more than the other, so I had one of each, but I only had one of each, all right? Often when we think about self-control, we're like, okay, just one piece of cake, not half the cake. That's not what we're talking about here. And this, we're not even talking about like you go to Best Buy to get some headphones and you accidentally buy a new home theater system. That's not. We're talking about a self-control that has to do with the way that we think. The way that we think, the way that we're motivated, the way that we scheme in our minds. Have you ever thought about how much scheming in your mind you do? We don't usually use that word because it's so negative, but all of that thought processing to get what we want is scheming in our minds. And it has to change. How does that change? Because you and I can't do it on our own. We need God's help. Romans 8.13 says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Listen to this. For all who are led by the Spirit are sons of of God. Excuse me. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. And so as sons, as adopted into the family of God, as possessing the Holy Spirit in you, there is now hope. There is now opportunity that there was not before on your own, on my own. We now, with the help of God, can begin to exercise self-control and have victory over sin. But it's not in our flesh. It's Jesus. If you're sitting here right now, if you're watching online right now, and you're thinking that you need to go from here, from listening to this right now, and beat sin, you can't. I'm sorry. And neither can I. We need the Holy Spirit. We need God's help. So we got to ask for it. But we got to take it seriously that we need this help. Because so often, we don't admit our unrighteousness. And then we don't lean on him. We don't look to him, and we don't ask him. But he loves us. He loves us enough that he laid down his life for us so that we could be forgiven of sin. So we need to ask him. Maybe even right now, as I'm speaking, God's calling to you as he did to Felix and Drusilla, and they're seeing their sin, and you're seeing your sin. But you're also hearing that there's a solution in Jesus. They heard that there was a solution in Jesus and they pushed him away. Don't push him away. And loved ones, as we share the love of Christ with people, we need to help them know that there's a solution in Jesus. And that sin can't continue because that's what he died on the cross for. That's the whole point of the gospel is that that would be gone from our lives Self-control needs to happen. Sin can't continue, and the answer is Jesus. So Paul's briefly touched on how God sees them, righteous or unrighteous, their current state of how things are going, whether they're giving in to all the desires of the flesh or exercising self-control. So past, present, and now, 
He lands on one more thing when it comes to their sin, their unrighteousness, and the importance of faith in Jesus. And it says there in the middle of verse 25, and he reasoned with them about the coming judgment. About the coming judgment. A basic witness will speak about the future result and consequences of sin. Here's point number four. A basic witness is about judgment by Jesus. This is the last thing that Paul gets to here. And he reasons with them because he, he wants them to know. And this is the reality for all of us. That we will give an account for our actions. And you can imagine Felix in horror as the Holy Spirit has been helping him see all his rebellion to God. The guilt weighing upon him and not willing to do anything about it. And so he says to Paul, you got to go. You got to get out of here. Don't make the same mistake that he did. Because the reality is that we will all stand before God someday. The question isn't if you will stand before Jesus. The question is, will you be ready to stand before Jesus? So many people in our world deny sin and are unwilling to deal with unrighteousness, fail to believe in the afterlife or in God at all. And that is how they will be found when they stand before God. Because it's not an if, it's a when. Hebrews 9 says... And just as it appointed for man to die once, after this comes the judgment. We will all stand before God one day. The question is, will Jesus be your judge, or will he be your judge, but then also your savior? There is coming judgment for everyone. We have to give an account for our sin. The question is, will Jesus be there on our behalf or not? As far as history records, Felix and Drusilla seem to seal their fate here as they even talk with Paul for like two years about this. But as far as we know, they reject the hope of the gospel and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Felix and Drusilla aren't alive anymore. That's not a surprise to anybody. That means their judgment day came. In fact, again, I'm a little bit of a history geek, Drusilla... She died on October 24th, 79 AD, in the eruption of Mount Vesuvius. 20 years after this. She didn't know she had another 20 years. We don't know if we got another 20 days. She wasn't ready. The opportunity was there, but she wasn't ready. So she faced judgment on her own. Loved ones, are you ready? Are you ready to stand before Jesus? Dr. Clarence McCartney, a preacher from the 1800s, told a story about a meeting in hell. Satan called his four leading demons together and he commanded them to think up a new way to trap souls. I have it, one demon said. I'll go to earth and I'll tell people there's no God. It'll never work, said Satan. People can look around and they can see that there is a God. I'll go and tell them there's no heaven, suggested a second demon, but Satan rejected. Everybody knows there's an afterlife and they want to go to heaven. Well, let's tell them that there's no hell, said the third demon. No, conscience tells them their sin will be judged, said the devil. We need a better lie. Quietly, the fourth demon spoke. I think I've solved your problem, he said. I'll go to earth and tell people there's no hurry. The best time to trust Jesus is right now. Right now. The best time to tell people about Jesus right now because we don't know when we will stand before Jesus 
We don't know when the coming judgment's going to come. And so Paul is reasoning with them, and he's talking to them. And Felix, he sees the light. The light of God, the hope of salvation, has shone down on his life, but he has preferred to live in the darkness. He has rejected the light. He has foolishly disregarded the seriousness of sin. Loved one, I beg you this morning, if you're watching online, if you're in this room right now, do not disregard the seriousness of sin and the hope that is found in Jesus Christ. God is real. Sin is serious. And the only hope of forgiveness is Jesus Christ. So this morning, wherever you're at, don't be like Felix and Drusilla. Put your faith and trust in Jesus. Be forgiven of your sin. Not by your own doing, but by the work of Jesus. Be made right before God. We see here that Felix rejects this. He's alarmed and he pushes it away. He ignores the gift of salvation. He's too concerned with getting something out of Paul or his own comfort or pushing the decision off. How many people have we interacted? Maybe you're like that right now. Maybe you've been pushing off this decision. Maybe you've been trying to figure out what's in it for you. Listen, It is the only way. That's why they're having this conversation about the way. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. So loved one, this morning, maybe you're in this room right now, maybe you're watching online, and you need to put your faith in Jesus. You need to ask him for the forgiveness of your sin. You need to confess him as the Lord of your life. Don't wait. Now is the day. And if you're here, and maybe like myself, you have known Jesus for a long time, then the reality and the hope of the gospel, the light that has shone into your life, let it permeate your life and your soul and your mind so that your thoughts and your heart and your intention and all that you do begins to change because you know that you were stuck in unrighteousness. But because of the grace of God, the mercy of God, by faith in God, in his son Jesus, you are now made right and you are forgiven and you are welcome to the presence of God. And don't hold it inside. Let the light shine out. Let it flood out. Luke's got to give just point form here because he can't even elaborate on all. Let that be the story of your life, that the gospel just flows from your heart and your mind because you love Jesus and you know that one day soon you will stand before him. We will all stand before him. The gospel's not complicated. The way is simple. Are you going to go that way? Will you put your faith in Jesus? And if you are going that way, let the reality of God for you change you and drive you to be a witness for him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you that the gospel is so simple. But yet I also recognize that if your spirit doesn't do the work in imparting it to minds and hearts, it will be rejected. And so God, I pray for people who are listening right now who have not put their faith and trust in you. That God, you would open their hearts and their ears and their minds by your spirit, would you speak to them to know the seriousness of their sin and the hope of the gospel? That they don't have to be stuck in unrighteousness anymore, but there is righteousness, there is forgiveness, there is a way. And you are that way. Would you give them by your spirit courage 
to come to you and to confess their sin and to put their faith and trust in you and be saved. And let their lives never be the same because the light of the gospel has shone into their hearts. And Lord, for those of us who are here who know this truth, God, we need you to, to continue to shine and stir more and more every day. The darkness of our world seeks to creep into our lives and pull us off into all sorts of things to distract us away from the way. But Lord, I pray that the basic truths of the gospel, Lord, would be so rich to us by your spirit that our lives are different. And in increasing measure, would we witness for you and would you get glory from our lives? Would our lives be witnesses of the hope of the gospel, of the way that is found in Jesus Christ? We love you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.